Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to read through uh, this passage, and then we'll uh, uh, pray, and we'll dive into the message for this morning. But Psalm chapter 1, it says this. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning and we just ask that now as we look into your word, God, would you speak to us? Would you give us that which we need to uh, walk with you, Lord, this week? I pray that each and every one of us would be challenged in this area of uh, where we delight and, Lord, where we, uh, what, what things we invest into our lives, Lord, that we might see the end product of righteousness and of faith and even of joy. And I pray that you would uh, speak to each and every one of us, Lord, this morning uh, through your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage, it, uh, it starts with that word blessed or blessed. And uh, you might remember, for those of you who are with us in our study of the Sermon on the Mount last summer, that word blessed in Scripture uh, isn't, uh, most of the time, is not talking about getting blessings. Often, when, now when we think of uh, blessed, it, we think of either a post on social media that someone says, hashtag blessed, something like that, or we just think of, in general, getting blessings. Most of the time, when you see a statement saying, blessed is and then says the man or the person or blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit like we see in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. When we see that, that word blessed, that word blessed is actually a word both in Hebrew and in Greek that means happy, joyful, divine joy, in fact. And, and what's interesting actually is the Hebrew word here in this psalm is, is actually in the plural, Okay, so it could be translated, uh, oh, how happy is the man, uh, but because it's plural, you could almost even say it this way, oh, the joys, oh, the joys of the man's life who, and then goes through and says what we see in uh, Psalm chapter number one, oh, the joys of this person, oh, how very happy is this person. If you were to ask a lot of people in our day and age today, uh, what is happiness? You'd get all kinds of answers. Some, some might say, well, it's uh, sitting on the beach with a glass of lemonade in the shade, watching my kids play in the water, something like that. It could be uh, uh, reading a book and just being in, uh, away from everyone and just getting to read a book of some kind. It could be, uh, you know, being at a, uh, at a basketball game or a football game or whatever uh, the case might be, uh, looking at my big screen TV, watching my favorite team play the, uh, the Super Bowl or the World series or whatever it might be, uh, people would have different ideas of what is happiness. If I was thinking of it 
on a very uh, somewhat artificial or I should say superficial level. For me, that would be on the golf course. I love uh, being on the golf course. Now, again, that's a superficial level, not the happiness we're talking about this morning, but many of us would have a different idea if we were asked about what happiness is, what that means. Some people it would involve family, some people involve an event, and some people it would just involve in general uh, something going on in their life uh, with, with no problems of any kind. But you would get all kinds of different answers. I think part of that in America is also because uh, in our very constitution, we are promised certain inalienable rights, such as life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Interesting, it doesn't tell you you'll find it. It just says you're allowed to pursue uh, happiness, right, in our Constitution. Uh, but you have the right to pursue happiness. And people are chasing happiness all over. They're chasing after this joy that they want to find, but so many of them never find it. They never truly find it. And the reason is because happiness is never found in a direct pursuit of happiness. Happiness is actually found in direct pursuit of something else. What we're going to find in our passage this morning is that happiness is a byproduct of a pursuit of, an, uh, or of another pursuit, of another type of uh, pursuing that we would have in our life. Really, it's this. If you pursue him, Jesus, and you pursue holiness, his type of living, righteousness, then happiness tags along. That's really the idea here. Pursue him and his righteousness. As Jesus says, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You seek him and you seek holiness and you will find that happiness then tags along. Uh, this psalm uh, describes for us this happy man. And what we're going to find is Really, the, the man that it's describing is a righteous man. And then saying that those who then live righteously this type of way, then find that they are also happy. But it describes this person, uh, first of all, in verse number one, by what they decline, by what they say no to. It says that uh, happy is the man, or oh, the joys of the man who... Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So far in our passage, everything is negative, right? It's all, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, and he doesn't do that. It's all in the negative. It's saying, uh, he's, he's saying no to specific things. But what's interesting is it's often more important to first of all uh, recognize that which you should say no to before you can recognize what you should say yes to. Think of an athlete uh, or someone who wants to do a certain type of uh, diet. Oftentimes you have to first say, if I'm going to do this, I can't do that, right? Uh, if you're going to say, I'm only going to drink water. For the rest of my life, I only want water. First of all, I'm sorry for you, okay? Because you don't get coffee and all the other good stuff, all right? I'm just teasing. But uh, if uh, someone to say, that's my goal, I'm only going to drink water, okay, in, in my life, then they have to uh, inevitably first say no to coffee and no to soda 
and no to sweet tea. I can't do it, guys. I'm just saying. You got to say no to a bunch of other stuff, right? Before you can say yes to only water. People who are training for certain events, they have to say no to uh, certain activities so that they can get the right amount of sleep so that they can wake up at the right time in the morning to practice and do the regimented workouts that they have. They have to say no to a lot of things first in order that they might be able to say yes to the things that they uh, ought to say yes to, to the right things. So what do happy people, righteous people say no to? Well, the psalmist tells us, first of all, that they say no to bad advice. They say no to bad counsel. And uh, he says, uh, they walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. They, they know where to find good counsel, first of all. And so they don't listen to bad advice. I was listening to uh, a person talk about uh, advice recently in, in a podcast, and he said this. He said, there's two surefire ways uh, to, uh, to, to disaster. This is what he says. Two surefire ways to disaster. Number one, take no one's advice. Number two, take everyone's advice. <laughs> take no one's advice. You know those people that are like, I know everything, and I, I, I'm always right, and anyone who tells me otherwise just doesn't truly know what I know, and so they listen to no one's advice. But on the flip side, there's people that listen to everyone's advice. And they're, they're constantly just uh, taking into consideration every single person's opinion. And that is a miserable life. Everyone has an opinion about everything. And, and, and what this... Psalm is telling us is that a righteous man, one who will, by, uh, as a byproduct, find happiness, first of all says no to bad advice. They understand what type of advice they should allow into their life. They are careful about what counsel they allow into their lives. And then says he says no to bad associations, to, uh, to the type of friendships in his life that he should not have. He says uh, that he doesn't stand in the way of sinners, the word stand there means to linger or to stay a while. It, you know, if you, if you follow in the footsteps of bad advice, you'll soon stand among those who give it. You will. If you're constantly following in the footsteps of, the, of bad advice, you'll eventually find yourself standing amidst people that give bad advice and living a life very similar. Paul, he says it this way in uh, the New Testament. He says, bad company corrupts good character right? You have the wrong type of company, then it's eventually going to corrupt the good character in your life. We saw a couple of weeks ago on Friend Day that uh, we should be very careful about the people that we allow into our lives. Now, when, this, uh, when Scripture tells us things like this, to be careful about who we allow into our lives, it's not saying that we are never friends with sinners, that's not what this is saying when he says he stands not in the way of sinners. It, it's not talking about the fact that I don't ever befriend a sinner or that I don't ever uh, talk or associate with sinners. What it's talking about is this, those who have the most influence in my life. The word stand there is like I'm, I'm in their path. I'm, I'm in the same pathway that they are. I'm standing there in their pathway. And so we, we need to make sure that we uh, our understanding of the people we allow into our circle of influence. We, we say no to bad advice. We say no to bad associations. But then he also says we say no to bad actions. <laughs> he talks about the scorner there. The scornful is another word for those who mock. Those who are mockers. This today 
is a very popular seat to sit in. A very popular seat to sit in. People love to just criticize and mock and scorn, uh, especially in our world, the things of God. If you find yourself in the seat of, of mocking those who love God and those who, uh, who try to live for God, you'll find yourself in our world, especially in America, in a very popular seat to be one who mocks God and his ways. And when you get to this point, when you've now followed in the footsteps of bad advice or stood in the pathway of wrongdoing, you're now actually eventually going to be sitting, planted in pride. You're comfortable now in opposition to God. I, I don't know if you notice there the slowing, the progression that takes place. He says, first of all, you're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Then you're standing. You slow down a bit. Now you're, now you're like planted a little bit. And then he says, now you're really comfortable. You're sitting. You notice that slowing progression there? You're walking and then you're standing and then you're sitting. The, the righteous, they say no to this type of lifestyle. They say no to wrong counsel. They say no to wrong associations. And they say no to wrong living. But then we see the person described by what they uh, actually do. Not just what they say no to, what they say yes to, what they delight in. In verse two, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. A lot of people who, uh, who would claim to be righteous, we would call them self-righteous right? Uh, we're talking about those who are righteous, how they live and what they delight in. Those who are self-righteous often love to do uh, or to say about themselves what they don't do. Like verse number one, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't go to movies, I don't uh, listen to music, right? I, I don't wear that type of clothes, I don't smoke or chew or run around with girls that do, right? The whole saying, I, I don't do all of these. And every time I hear people say, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do that, I go, what do you do? Right? What do you do? And, and that's, that's the contrast here that the psalmist is making. It's like, yes, he doesn't do some things. The righteous person doesn't do some things, but they actually implement some things purposefully into their life. One very specific thing, he delights in the law of the Lord. Notice it doesn't say, but his duty is to read the word of God every day. It doesn't say that uh, he, his drudgery, he, he just comes and just goes through all the motions of getting in the world uh, word. He says this, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That, that word delight is pleasure. He takes pleasure. He looks forward to hearing the word of God. He looks forward to reading the word of God. He looks forward to discussing the word of God. He looks forward to that. That's what the righteous person does. He looks forward to uh, investing the word of God into his life. What's interesting to me about this too is when this psalmist wrote it, we don't know who wrote it. A lot of people attribute any psalm that doesn't have a name to it, a lot of people say David wrote it, right? Uh, because he wrote so many of the psalms. We don't know who wrote Psalm 1, but whoever it was, uh, we know the time frame of which Psalm 1 was written. And when this was written, the only word of God that he would have had at his disposal, the psalmist, would have been the first five books of the Old Testament. Think about those books. Genesis, Exodus, great. Leviticus, Numbers, <laughs> Deuteronomy. Those are his delight, right? Nowadays, those, the, three of those books are the books that Christians like try to avoid if they can, right? Because it's just such a, a, a hard thing to get through some of those books. But this, this psalmist, he says this, no, I love it. 
I delight in the law of the Lord. Those who are righteous, they love God's law. Why? Because getting to know the word of God helps me get to know the God of the word. The more that I understand the word, the more I understand about God. So I love it. I look forward to it. I delight in getting in the word. It's like what David says in Psalm 19. He says this, more to be desired are they, what's they? The laws, the commandments, the statutes. He gives a lot of words for the word of God. David in Psalm 19 says this, more to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. What is he saying in Psalm 19? He's saying this. He says, I desire, I take pleasure in the word of God more so than I'd even do the richest value of the day or the sweetest value of the day. Both of those gold would have been the richest value of that day. Uh, honey, especially honey straight off the honeycomb, to them was like the sweetest value. It was like Oreos to them, right? They just loved them. They, they could eat as much as they could uh, when they got it because it was just such a delicacy. So he's saying even more than the richest and the sweetest values of this life, I take pleasure in God's word is what he's saying in Psalm 19. And then in our passage in Psalm 1, it tells us this. Not only does he delight in it, it says he meditates on it. He meditates in it day and night. Now, meditation is not some trans transcendental activity where we uh, disengage the mind or we empty the mind. A lot of times when we hear that word medica uh, medication, meditation, uh, that's what we think of, is that we empty the mind. Biblical meditation is actually the opposite of that. It's where we deliberately and purposefully fill our mind with revealed truth, with the word of God. Biblical meditation is not an emptying of the mind, but actually a filling of the mind and a focusing of the mind on the word of God. That word meditate, it means this. It means to mutter, to moan, or to talk to oneself. And, and the root uh, meaning, uh, the root Hebrew word there has also been used to describe animals like cattle when they chew the cud. They're, they're like, bring it back up, to the, which is disgusting if you really think about it. They bring it back up to chew more nutrients, to bring, and then they swallow it, and then they bring it back up to chew more nutrients. The idea here of meditation is this. I've ingested the word of God, and then throughout the day and at night, he says, it's a continual thing, then I, I bring it back to my mind and I think about it. I bring it back to my mouth so that I might talk about it. I bring it back to my thinking is the idea. Uh, Psalm 119 uh, reminds me a lot of Psalm 1 in this sense. I, I believe they might have been written by the same person. Psalm 119 is another one. We don't know who wrote it. A lot of people just assume David. But uh, Psalm 119 starts the same, blessed is the man. Or blessed is the undefiled is how uh, Psalm 119 uh, starts out. And then throughout it, it talks a lot about the word of God. It talks uh, about his law and his statutes. If you read Psalm 119, you find out this, that the psalmist there, uh, he listens to the word. He seeks after the word. He internalizes the word. It says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He's, he talks about the word. He declares it. He says that he thinks about the word. He honors the word. He doesn't forget the word. The idea here in uh, the Psalms when it talks about this is that this is someone whose whole life is just inundated with the word. And everything in their life consistently has some association with the word of God. It reminds me of uh, those people that are like obsessed with a certain type of TV show 
right? And they, they, uh, they're always talking about the TV show. They're always quoting the TV show. They're always thinking about the TV show. So much so that everything that happens in real life reminds them of a scene that took place in the TV show. You know people like this? I've been that person, okay? That's how I know. Uh, that there's people like that. They're so ob- obsessed with a TV show that it consistently comes back to their mind. It consistently comes up in conversation. It's just always inundating every single part of their life because they consistently watch the show and just the show and put it into their lives. What if we were like that with the Bible? What if we were like that with the Bible? Where, where we were reading it consistently, where we thought about it constantly, where we studied it every single, uh, uh, as, as much as we could, if we memorized it, if we quoted it, if we talked about it, That it's such a part of our lives that when we see things in the world or someone brings up something in conversation, it reminds us of something that the Bible talks about. What if we were like that with the word of God? The, The psalm here is telling us that's how the righteous live. That's how the righteous live. They delight in the word of God. They meditate on it. Uh, throughout the day and and night the the phrase there day and night is not it doesn't mean that uh, the guy wakes up every single night just to make sure that he's reading the word of God or delighting in the word of God the day and night it's an idiom that means this this is a continuous thing in my life this is a continual thing I'm consistently delighting and meditating upon the word of God I make this a an everyday thing of my life. So this happy man, this righteous man, he's depict by, de- depicted by what he declines, by what he says no to. He's depicted by what he delights in, in what he says yes to, the word of God. And then he's de- uh, described by, by what he depicts in verse number three, what he's a picture of. And it tells us this, he's, uh, th- he shall be like a tree, like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That, that word uh, picture of being a tree, that, that gives us a picture of a few things. First of all, that gives us a picture of growth. This is, he, he doesn't say, and he shall be like a stump or like a two by four or any other type of wood. He says this, this, this guy is, has a living and vibrant, a vibrancy to him. He's a tree, a living thing. He is something that is growing. Growth, it's, it's a normal part of life. A normal part of living beings, we understand, is growth. Growth is an expected thing, right? If you have a a child that uh, lives in your home all the way till 30, still wearing diapers, we understand something's wrong, right? But there should be some kind of growth that takes place in the life of someone, and so it should be with our spiritual life, that there should be spiritual growth in their life. And if there's not, there's something wrong. But the righteous, they see growth taking place. They're like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in their season. There's growth there in this picture. There's also stability there. You think about a tree planted by the rivers of water. Have you ever uh, seen some of the trees that are right there next to water, the roots? The root system is amazing. I love, uh, there's a couple of them. If you go on the Apple Loop Trail and then you go off of the trail down into uh, some of the areas next to the water, there's a couple of trees that have grown there uh, that someone's, either water has eroded uh, some of the foundation of the, of the dirt or uh, people have just dug it out. But you can see some of the root system. I mean, it's going everywhere. It's deep. It's wide. And that tree is stable. It's not going anywhere. Why? Because its roots 
are deep. It's, it's gotten all the nutrients it needed from the water, from the stream, from the river that it was next to. That's the idea here that the psalmist is giving. Those who delight in the word of God, who consistently have the word of God in their life, they're not just growing, they're stable. They have stability in their life because they're rooted they're connected to the life source. It's the same idea that Jesus gives in the book of John when he says this, abide in me. The word abide is saying stay connected to the life source, to the nutrients, and as you do so, you will, what does he say? Bear fruit. So Jesus talks about in the book of John. And so here he's saying this, stay connected to the life source, to the nutrients of the word of God, and you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water getting stable, getting that stability that you have in their life. Even when storms come, those things stand firm because they are planted. He doesn't say they're potted. It's a tree planted by the rivers of water. There's stability there. We also see him uh, depict fruitfulness with this tree. He says, uh, be like a tree planted by the rivers of the water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Fruit, it's a picture of results. It's a picture of spiritual activity. Those who are planted, who are in the word, they see growth, they see stability, and they see fruitfulness. Their leaves don't wither. There's spiritual fruit taking place in their life, and they don't wither away. There's a perseverance there that they stick through. They're evergreen, so to say. Even through the winter months, they're still beautiful. They're still standing. They're still producing something even in the months where many others don't. Why? Because they're, uh, they're stable and they're, they're fruitful in a way that the ungodly cannot be. And then the, uh, he says, the Lord brings prosperity to their way of living because it's living in accordance to his word. There's a prosperity and a fruitfulness there that is depicted by the life of the righteous man who is consistently in the word. But then we see in the next few verses that this righteous man is described by actually how he differs from another type of person. In verse number uh, four and five, there's this contrast given. This psalm, it's written antithetically. In, in other words, the first three verses describe the righteous person, the blessed person, that happy person. And the next two verses describe the ungodly. And then verse six, it contrasts both in a summary statement. In verse four, I, I love how it says it. It says this. It's like, man, those who are righteous, that get in the word, that are planted, they're consistently getting nutrients, they're meditating on, they're doing all that they can to inundate their life with the word. Those people are flourishing. They have fruitfulness. They have stability. And then it says, the ungodly are not so. In fact, the way that the Hebrew is written, it says this, not so the wicked. Not so the wicked. In, in, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it actually, they put a double negative in there, which would be translated this way. Not so the wicked, not so. In other words, they, everything that you see taking place in the life of that righteous person who is consistently putting the word into their life, uh, you have this growing and living and fruitful tree uh, over on this side. On the other side, you have uh, this, this, uh, this person that none of that can be said about them. None of it can be said about them because uh, their life is like the chaff which the wind drives away. The word chaff there 
Some of you might know uh, with wheat that there's this husk on the grain that has to be winnowed and uh, threshed away and then winnowed away. And uh, how it would often be done back in biblical times is they would take it, they would throw it into the air and the grain of the wheat would have some weight to it and so it would fall. And then the chaff had no weight to it. It just caught in the wind and blew away. And so that was how they uh, separated it in, in some way. So he's saying this, though it, it's, it's another contrast where he says, the righteous, the pe- person who's in the word of God, they're stable. They have that stability. The ungodly, those who don't have that stability, uh, are just driven away by the, the wind. It, it reminds me of like a dandelion fuzz, right? It just takes one blow and is destroyed. The, da- the fuzz on the dandelion is just gone. The instant that that wind or that blow comes, the ungodly he says, are like that, that they're destroyed in a single breath with just the, the wind. They're at the mercy of the wind. They're not stable and rooted like the righteous life. If you really want to see the contrast between these two types of people in this psalm, it's in the first word and it's in the last word. If you look at it, what's the first word of the psalm? What is it? Blessed, right? Blessed. Uh, the, what's the last word of the psalm? Perish. Two words two people, two ends is being described here. One person, their life is righteous, their end is joy, happiness. Another person, their life is ungodly, their end is destruction. They are perished. Their end is corruption. So the truly happy person is the one who lives righteously according to the word of God. And I want to point out the analogy there used of a tree because it's interesting to me that the psalmist uses this analogy. Because a tree doesn't just happen, right? It doesn't just happen. Uh, I mean, a seed could be blown and planted, but it doesn't just like the seed go in and there's a tree, right? There's watering that has to take place. Nutrients of the soil have to get to the seed. It has to germinate. It has to sprout. It has to get sunlight, There's a whole process here that has to take place for a tree to get uh, grounded and rooted uh, into the ground. There's a lot that takes place there. So uh, there's this whole process that takes a place to see a a tree become rooted and stable and fruitful. And and the reason I bring that up is is because that is the same with our spiritual lives. Our, Our spiritual lives, true happiness, true joy, True stability and fruitfulness does not just happen in our lives. It doesn't just happen all of a sudden. There's a process by which it takes place. And the psalmist here is telling us how. Sow into the, your life the seed of the word of God. Uh, get nutrients, meditate on it. Bring it back and consistently uh, nourish the seed of the word of God in your life so that you might grow roots and be grounded and stable in your life. I was reading a book toward the beginning of this year that talked about how so many of us Christians uh, think that successful Christianity just happens. That we, we see spiritual people and we assume that that only took place because they were born in a Christian family or they found the right church or they were given the right talents and gifts to just be that type of merciful person or to be that joyful person. That spiritual maturity just kind of happened in that person's life. And the truth is that's never the case. There is a whole process of growth and stability that has been taking place in that person's life. And, and the book brings up 
uh, three points about the law of sowing and reaping in, in this way. And it says it this way. It says the first thing uh, that we understand about, about growing or getting what we sow into our life is the, the law that Paul says in Galatians, which is this, you reap what you sow, right? You reap what you sow. Uh, so if, if you plant apple seeds, don't expect oranges, right? You're, you're going to get apples if you plant, or, or if you plant apples, okay? That, that, and, and what Paul says in Galatians, he says, don't be deceived into thinking that if you sow one seed that you're going to get some other type of fruit. That's not how it works. Paul talks about it in this way. He says, those who uh, sow to the Spirit... Those who sow into spiritual things in their life, they reap of the Spirit life everlasting, eternal life, abundant life. That's the fruit that comes from sowing into the Spirit, sowing spiritual things. He says, but those who sow unto the flesh, ungodly things, they reap of the flesh corruption. The word corruption there is another word that means destruction. So he's saying, you sow into your life spiritual things, you reap spiritual things. So don't go into your life thinking, I, I, I can sow uh, ungodly thoughts. I can sow uh, uh, ungodly counsel. I can sow the way of the sinner. I can sow those things into my life and then expect the outcome to be righteousness and true blessedness and joy. Like the psalmist is telling us. He's saying, don't be deceived into thinking you can invest in these things and end up with the product that you want. If you want that product, invest in a thing that brings that product. If you don't like what you're reaping, change what you're sowing. That's really the idea there. If you don't like what you're reaping, then change what you're sowing. Don't sow into your life the counsel of ungod the ungodly, of sinners, of scorners, and expect to reap happiness. That's not how it works. I was, uh, I was counseling someone recently that uh, on just fear and anxiety and things like that and we were talking about it and, uh, and as we were walking through it, I said, well, let, let's look at your intake. You know, let's just talk about what do you do throughout the day, okay? Let's, let's see what might bring up this fear and anxiety and all of this stuff and um, come to find out the, the only intake that was taking place was like Fox News and CNN and Facebook and I'm like, there's your problem, <laughs> right? You're sowing into your life uh, the fear of the news, so you're reaping what? The fear that the news brings about. Yet there, there was no intake of spiritual uh, things, of, of a sound mind, of love, joy, and peace, and long-suffering, of those things, of spiritual things in their life, and so they weren't getting spiritual fruit because what was being invested into their life was, uh, was constant sowing of fear, and so they were reaping fears because you reap what you sow. Second point that was made in that book was this. Not only do you reap what you sow, so if you want spiritual things, you need to sow spiritual things so that you reap spiritual things, but you also reap more than you sow. You don't just reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow. It's very rare that you uh, plant an apple seed and only one apple pops up, right? Right? Am I just, is that, is that a good assumption to make? I think all of these apple trees out here, we would say, yeah, that's the truth. You don't just plant an apple seed and one apple pops up. What does one apple seed do? It, it, it starts to grow an apple tree, which brings multiple apples that have multiple seeds in each one that could be planted to make multiple trees with multiple apples, with multiple seeds for multiple trees. It's just a, you, you see what I'm saying? You, you sow, you reap what you sow, but you also reap more than you sow. 
So what, it, sometimes there seems to be this disconnect in our mind where we think, well, I, I only did that one bad action, or I, I'm only doing a couple things now. I might get God, I, I'll get right with God later, or whatever the case might be, in the sense of uh, it's only this small little thing that I'm investing in my life that's not in accordance to the Lord's will. But, but understand this, reaping just a small bit here can uh, like give you so much more destruction down the road. It, it, it's only this one thing that I'm seeing on a screen. But how much destruction that might bring to a marriage or to, uh, to a family or to a church as a result of that one little sow, sowing of a seed. And there's so many examples we could see there, but on the opposite end, so is the truth spiritually. Now, it seems like I'm just sowing this little seed of five minutes a day in the word, 10 minutes a day of, of the word and prayer. That seems like such a small seed that I'm sowing, but, but we're going to reap so much more, uh, so many more benefits in our life, so much more than what we sowed. And God is one of those gods that uh, brings the increase, as it says. You sow, we sow, we plant, and he brings the increase. And though that, that uh, is oftentimes talking about witnessing, sometimes I, I will plant and some uh, people water, and then God brings the increase of a, of a soul that is saved, that can uh, be a principle that's applied to all things, that I consistently sow and I consistently water and then see how God brings the increase. I don't bring the increase. I do the work. The God of the harvest does the harvesting or brings the uh, harvest to me. He brings the reaping. And so we don't just reap what we sow, we reap more than we sow. So if we sow the spiritual things into our life now, we'll see so many more benefits like true joy, as Psalm 1 says, come up in our life. Not just righteous living, but also true joy and happiness and blessing and all of these other things will be reaped in our life. But then the last one that he brings up is this. Not only do you reap what you sow and you reap more than you sow, but you reap after you sow. <laughs> Too many Christians today expect to sow something once and see instant results, right? Like, I shared the gospel with them. Why didn't they get saved? <laughs> I, I read my Bible. So many people, they read their Bible one day or like one week or one month and they don't see the results they thought they would, so they just stop. They're like, I, I sowed and I didn't see anything happen. That's because you reap after you sow. I mean, all of these trees that we see out here, they didn't just put a seed in the ground and throw some water on it. And it, it wasn't James and the giant beanstalk, right? It wasn't like, just popped up. It was, it was some consistent nutrients and consistent watering and consistent uh, working of the field to bring about the reaping. You, you reap after you sow. So though it seems small now, the consistent sowing and the consistent uh, watering of the word in our life will eventually bring great reward after the fact. Sometimes we don't even realize that the small seeds that we've been sowing now of the word in our life each and every day is what brings, when the trial comes this day, the stability that we wouldn't have had had we not been sowing the whole time. But, uh, it, but so many of us give up now because we don't see an immediate reaping. What, the, what we see here with the psalmist using a tree that's fruitful, he's saying, you don't just read the word once. And then boom, you're tree rooted next to the water and big and thriving in fruitfulness. He's saying, no, 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 he delights in it. It's a constant thing, day and night. 
He's sowing and sowing and sowing the word into his life. And as a result, then you see stability. Roots start to take place. Fruitfulness starts to abound. Why? Because there's consistent sowing and watering from the word in their life. So you reap what you sow. If you want righteousness in your life, sow into your life things that are righteous. How do we do that? We get into the word. It teaches us what's righteous. You want the, the, to reap the benefits of, of happiness, true joy and happiness and blessedness in our life, then sow into your life that which brings that. But don't expect sowing into ungodly things and then to reap those type of benefits, the, the blessedness and all of that. It doesn't work that way. You reap what you sow. But know that you reap more than you sow. So though it seems small now, small daily, it accumulates to a great reaping in our life, a stability and a fruitfulness that we wouldn't have had otherwise had we not been consistently sowing and watering the word in our lives. And then you reap after you sow. Don't expect immediate change, immediate roots to just take place really deep in your life so that you have stability in all ways. The psalmist says, oh, the joys, blessed, is the one who says no to the counsel and the way of living of the world. Oh, the joys of the one that delights in the word of God and who makes it a part of their life continually and consistently. This year, we're learning to live by faith. The righteous live by faith. And as I said a moment ago, when we started the message, we know that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. So we want to be righteous who live by faith, there's a process here that takes place. Get into the word. Hear the word. Listen to it. Discuss it. Meditate on it. Ingest the word of God. Sow the word of God consistently into your life. Make it an integral part of your life. And then just see what God does in and through your life as a result of all that sowing and watering of the word. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.